you know, the thing is like when you're working on something really fun, you don't really care about like, you know, all this other stuff. It's just more like, you know, you work and then you, you eat a little bit just to add fuel and just go back to work. Right. <laughs> well, it wasn't quite that crazy. I think we would, <laughs> we would eat, work, eat, work, and then generally like go for a run. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. What's the number one problem all businesses face? It's not sales, marketing, or product market fit. It's hiring. We know just how hard it is, so we've compiled 25 hiring tips from top CEOs that I've interviewed here on Growth Everywhere and put it into a free resource just for you. Text 25 tips to 33444 to get the free resource now. Again, it is 25 to number 25. Tips, T-I-P-S, to double three, triple four, and you'll get the free resource. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today, we have Ben Congleton, who's the founder or one of the founders of Olark, which is a live chat tool that over 10,000 companies rely on to answer customers immediately on their website. I'm a big fan of it, and I use it. Um, also, Olark has facilitated nearly 52 million chats between its users and their customers, and the company is still growing really quickly. Ben, how are you doing today? Great to be here, Eric, uh, from sunny sunny East Palo Alto. Awesome. Palo Alto is beautiful, like I was saying. So why don't we talk a little bit about you know your background as it led up to Olark? Yeah, sure. So I guess uh, in the early days... Um, uh, my hobbies have always been sort of company related, entrepreneurship re- related. Uh, since I was like a small kid, so uh, you know, in, uh, I don't know, middle school, elementary school, I started selling pencils. Then in uh, in middle school, I started building websites, and by sort of the end of middle school, I was uh, I was getting paid to do sort of web based consulting, and so I've I've never really had a uh, a paycheck. Uh, that where someone else was sort of paying me to do something that wasn't sort of attached to say like a company I was running, which is I think a pretty a pretty neat perspective to have on on building companies. So I don't I don't have a lot of experiences having say like good bosses or horrible bosses or anything like that. A, a lot of uh, a lot of my experience just comes from uh, you know building building stuff as I went. Got it. Okay. Great. So. The let's talk a little bit about Olark. What is Olark? Uh, you know, Olark as a company. Where do you guys stand today in terms of any numbers you can share? Yeah, so I think the best uh, source of public numbers is probably going to be our ten thousand uh, announcements. So if you go to olark.com/slash ten thousand, just the numbers uh, written out as digits, uh, you'll have a ton of stats uh, about where we're at. I know you mentioned that uh, fifty-two million chats. Uh, uh, sort of over time is a big number. I think also in that report is uh, about 63,000 customers a day uh, talk to uh, companies using Olark, uh, which is, that number is probably a little bit low because it's 
uh, from a few months ago, but uh, we're doing well. I, I think the way to look at Olark as a company is we help uh, companies talk to the visitors on their website, and there's a lot that companies get from this. So uh, companies like Acquia and uh, OpenDNS use Olark on the sales side. So they plug in the sales force with Olark and use Olark primarily just to talk to sales leads on their website, figure out whether there are opportunities, and then move them into a sales process. And Acquia has a blog post where they wrote that Olark has, uh, that leads started on Olark have generated over like $3 million in sales for Acquia. So wow. it, it delivers like real value. Because, you know, you have people browsing around your website. They may be enterprise customers. They're reading about your offering. Not everyone's going to pick up the phone. Uh, and so it's useful to lower that barrier to first communication. And Olark is one really useful tool to do that. Uh, and that's a, similar to OpenDNS, which is another really fast-growing company. Uh, on the other side, you have guys like WordPress.com that use us to uh, communicate with their customers. So WordPress... Uh, you know, there's an open source project, but there's also WordPress.com, which is uh, run by this company called Automatic. And uh, what Automatic does is uh, they provide premium WordPress uh, hosting on WordPress.com. Uh, so uh, a lot of really big uh, media companies, when they need support on their WordPress installation, they're chatting with someone from Automatic using Olark inside their internal WordPress uh, like uh, dashboard, which is really cool. And, you know, there's lots and lots of software as a service companies that use us as a way of providing a higher level of service uh, for their ongoing customer relationships. And then yeah. on top of that, there's one more great example is sort of just funnel optimization. So if you yeah. ha are a SaaS company or just trying to like look at your flow, and maybe you have Mixpanel or Kissmetrics or something like that, and you're just looking at like where, where there's a high drop-off in your funnel, like putting Olark into that place in your funnel is a really good way of starting to talk to those people, really understand them, understand how you can tweak your flow. Sometimes you, you really do need the person there to answer a question or build trust. And um, you know, I think having all these benefits has really helped us as a company grow because we have customers across a lot of different markets that are a lot of different sizes, uh, which is, you know, I think the thing that makes it so much fun to, to be at Olark is, you know, all the, all the awesome companies we get to help. No, it's it's totally true. I mean, you know, I can vouch for it personally that we've closed a few more deals because of Olark. So, you know, from a sales perspective, and I think from customer support funnels, I, I think it's super interesting that you mentioned those. So, you know, love the tool. Um, I, what I think is really interesting um, is the story behind Olark. Can you talk about the story? You know, you having to, you know, you went through Y Combinator. You went, you almost went through like an acquisition in the beginning. What? How does that whole story look? <laughs> So, so we want to go back to like 2007 when there was just a twinkle in my eye. Is that, is that where we want to start or do we want to kind of like... We can, we can uh, bullet point it out. <laughs> all right. Okay. We'll, get, we'll start with twinkle in my eye. Uh, so, uh, so as I mentioned, I've, I've really just you know, worked for uh, myself or worked with partners for you know, most, of my, most of my income. So um, in 2007, we had a, some friends and I had this consulting company and we really didn't like doing consulting very much. And so we had, uh, were playing around with other ideas. So we'd like bill a customer, say like, I don't know, $75 an hour of that. We'd pay ourselves $25 an hour. And for the other two hours that we, we got, we'd spend that working on side projects. And so, uh, that was really how, uh, Olark got started was through uh, having this consulting firm and building stuff on the side. But Olark was just one of many 
ideas that we had had uh, running that company. And the first few just totally failed. Um, and, you know, and there are many turns along the way where Olark could have ended up not being created. But uh, so I was sitting, uh, I, was, I was doing a PhD at the time, and I was sitting in a, uh, in a first year seminar, and we we're reading about uh, how the internet created this, um, this disintermediation. So it, it let uh, producers talk directly to consumers. And we were thinking like, hey, uh, well, how the heck are they going to do that? I mean, email kind of stinks. They're not going to use the phone. I bet one method that producers and consumers are going to use to talk to each other is probably live chat because it worked really well for me and some of my earlier uh, companies, uh, but it really hadn't caught on. Like there weren't a lot of companies using live chat back in 2007. And so it started off as a, as a simple prototype. We called it uh, Abla, which means to talk in Spanish. Uh, and that sort of was starting to, to pick up steam. I think the first, the first prototype was launched in maybe like June of 2007. And then over time, uh, we were getting a lot of growth on our, on our free users. And we got to this point in 2008 where we're, we were like, do we uh, want to make this a real company or do we want to kill it? Because it's kind of eating up a lot of our time. And uh, it was affecting the consulting business. It was affecting my progress on my PhD. Uh, you know, uh, Roland, who's my cousin and a co-founder in Olark, was thinking about, you know, maybe going to architecture school or design school and sort of trying something out for a while. And so we needed to really decide if we wanted to commit on building this company or if we wanted to uh, just sort of let it go because, you know, it, it was in this interesting point where it was a little bit too much work for a side project. It wasn't actually generating any revenue, but it seemed to have a lot of potential. Like there was a lot of opportunity to help uh, help people talk to their customers. Like even even back then, that was something we were thinking a lot about, uh, and that's that's sort of the the beginning. And that from from there, that sort of launched us through uh, Y Combinator. We went through Y Combinator, um, ended up uh, coming out of Y Combinator in the summer of two thousand nine. So August two thousand nine, we're in the same batch as companies like WePay. Uh, mix panel. Actually, uh, the first version of Stripe that actually failed was in our batch. So when you think about Stripe and what a big success it is, uh, those guys were also in our Y Combinator batch and it just totally blew up. And they came back and restarted again in a future batch. So that's sort of a, like an interesting uh, interesting tidbit. Uh, I'm not sure if there's any, uh, like Bump, if you remember Bump, which uh, where you sort of got to take cell phones and like bump them together. And oh, right, yeah. And yeah. those guys were in our batch too. So, uh, I mean, it's an interesting perspective that we had because, you know, coming out of Y Combinator back then, uh, you know, we certainly weren't one of the hottest companies, but uh, I think what we had was a real drive and a passion to just try to like build something great and weren't really interested in like a super, super quick win. Uh, and so when we came out, uh, we had a hard time raising money and ended up deciding just to raise a little bit of money and bootstrap it. And so Y Combinator back then would just give you $25,000. And uh, so we had the $25,000 from Y Combinator that we used to pay rent and uh, like feed ourselves. We weren't really paying salaries back then. And then uh, we managed to raise about $60,000 from some friends and family. Uh, uh, a few people that we met through Y Combinator. And, um, and that was really like all the outside money that went into Olark. So we sat down for the next year and a half 
and uh, had a little graph that we got in our email every day showing us our revenue, uh, a uh, very strong desire to build uh, you know, an amazing uh, company centered around our customers and customer service and just sort of went at it for a while. Uh, we have like little little goals, like when when our revenue crossed a certain threshold, we go buy a grill. So I remember that day we went <laughs> off and uh, like searched Craigslist and found like the cheapest grill we could buy on Craigslist and bought it. I mean, we were we were very scrappy in the early days. Uh, there was another milestone that was like when we passed this line, we're going to get a patio set <laughs> for our back porch so we could sit outside. There. It was uh, it was a really fun time. I think it was. Uh, it was it was really great to sort of work with just a few others uh, living working out of a house uh, for the first few years of Olark. I think it really helped shape the company, and uh, you know I think one thing you learn when you're in that situation is just how uh, how much sort of conflict occurs when you can't escape it. You know you you can't go home from work when like your work is your home, and so you kind of run to a lot of tensions and you. And if you work through them in a productive way, it really helps you understand how different communication styles uh, often uh, lead to certain conflict and how, you know, most people are acting with good faith. And so, uh, you know, you may feel like there's a big disagreement, but probably both of you guys have the same goals in mind. And so, uh, you know, those, those early days helped us like run to a lot of walls, work through a lot of stuff and, uh, you know, as we grow in the company, we really wanted to remember what it was like, you know, working together, having disagreements, working through stuff. And so we've put a lot of a lot of effort into our core values to sort of help guide uh, new Olarkers and, you know, how to how to frame frame working at Olark in a, in a way that's very much oriented around communication. And I think, you know, because we're a remote company, that's that's exceptionally important. OK, so. You know, going back, I mean, you know, you, you talk about getting that $25,000 uh, check from White, White Combinator, getting some some funding from friends and family. I, I mean, you know, obviously you have to live frugally in the beginning, right? So, how, you know, walk us through a, a day in the life of, you know, Ben when you guys were in that super uh, scrappy mode. Yeah, sure. This is, uh, so let's go back to, let's just call it September 2009. So we were in this dinky townhouse. Uh, I was, uh, I think it was 100 North Wisman. Um, in this, uh, it was called Central Park Apartments. It, the The townhouse was very small, like I don't know, like seven or eight hundred square feet, something like that. It had three bedrooms, and each bedroom basically had enough room in it for uh, for a mattress, and so uh, and it had a dining room. So the dining room was converted into a bedroom. So imagine you're in this little house. Uh, the bedrooms are basically just places for mattresses on the floor. And dining room is where someone sleeps and has like a curtain drawn across it. And then the, then the living room area is basically just four desks that we were, got off Craigslist from a failed.com, you know, a few whiteboards. And uh, we had pretty nice office chairs because we had to sit in them all the time. But you, you would roll out of bed, walk downstairs, and, and work uh, a lot of food we were eating at that time came from Costco. We didn't even have a car, so we would bike to uh, <laughs> the Safeway and load up on provisions. Uh, we were too cheap to eat out back then because you know we didn't really have any income. I mean, a lot of us were coming straight out of college, so for us, like living scrappy was not really a big deal. Um, 
and I think that that helped a lot. We didn't have any dependents and we didn't have any college loans. And so, uh, we were able to live in a way that basically, you know, was probably not personally sustainable for a long time, but we were always trying to be cash flow positive. So we would, uh, really sort of, you know, we'd go to Costco and load up on, you know, fill two carts full of food. And that's basically what we'd eat for the next, you know, two weeks. And we would just, uh, just, cycle through that and it's a pretty you can live like in silicon valley people say it's very expensive but you can you can live on not a ton of money if you're if you're willing to sort of put up with the pain and i think a lot of that just comes from uh the fact we're coming from out of college and so we were we're just not used to having real jobs so right <laughs> so it was, it was easier but it, you know, the thing is, like, when you're working on something really fun, you don't really care about like you know all this other stuff. It's just more like you know you work and then you you eat a little bit just to add fuel and just go back to work, right? <laughs> well, it wasn't quite that crazy. I think we would <laughs> we would eat, work, eat, work, and then generally like go for a run. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds then, about right. So there's at least a little bit of exercise in there, and I think the fact that we were. Uh, uh, there's two things going on in that place. One is we were the closest startup to Y Combinator of that batch. So whenever Paul Graham, this is back when uh, Paul Graham was doing all office hours, there weren't really any other partners that did office hours. And so whenever Paul Graham had a, a free office hours slot, we would just walk over to Y Combinator <laughs> and like just chat. Like it, it was a very different experience because back then there was this calendar and you'd uh, arrange slots and sometimes people would cancel the slot. And so because we were so close and we could get over there in like 15 minutes, we would just book whatever, <laughs> like whenever there was an empty slot, we would just go over there and say hi. It would probably get nice. kind of annoying. But I think that uh, Jessica or someone was telling me the stats and uh, of any company, we actually met with Paul, uh, either, if not number one, number two for that batch, just because it was easy for us to do. Uh, <laughs> so that was, that was kind of fun. Okay. Well, okay, so you know, you, you talked a little bit about you know being frugal, but you know, working in the same house all the time, you know, how does that look? I mean, wouldn't that make you go crazy seeing the same people all the time? Well, I think uh, that's a that's a really good question, and I don't I don't know. I think that our mix of personalities worked out such that you know we would go crazy, but there is four of us, right? So there's four co-founders, so it's very rarely that one person would hate everyone at the same time. <laughs> so like. You know the the person there probably there's always someone in that like in that three in that four person group that can defuse whatever is going on, and so I think that that actually worked out really well for us. So uh, I realized that I had a tendency to be very defensive. I think when challenged uh, while working in that house, and I think you know by having someone else point that out to me, it made me a lot more self aware of what what was actually going on, and I think that. There's actually a lot of, uh, I mean, we all have sort of baggage in about how we uh, interact with others. And I think that it's often, uh, a lot of us have a hard time being questioned and uh, maybe don't, don't spend the time to really reflect around, about ourselves. And so, um, you know, I think, I think that sort of being in this situation where we're sort of stuck next to each other all the time are, uh, sort of forced us to either like fail really quickly and just like blow up or to like work through that stuff and be uh, in a much stronger situation. Like I was telling uh, Matt's wife 
the other day. Like, that for probably there was one point where like I had been around Matt more than she had, yeah. and it was like well into their marriage because you know like Matt, me, Roland, and Zach were like living together <laughs> for two years. <laughs> so. Uh, and we were living and working together. So basically we would just see each other a freaking lot. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were, we were willing to work through disagreements and I think that that helped a lot. Uh, got it. Okay. Huh. No, that, that's interesting. That's interesting. It, it sounds like you had the perfect mix of people and that probably doesn't happen most of the time. Right. Um, Okay. So do you... well, I, I would step that back a little bit and say I'm not sure it's necessarily the mix of people. I mean, we have we have very different personalities. I think there's not necessarily that mix of people. I think it's really just a willingness to work through stuff. So if you okay. can, if you can have the willingness to work through stuff, it probably doesn't matter what the mix of people is. So you better be working on something damn cool then, right? <laughs> <laughs> or want to grow as a person? I don't know. I feel like you can grow quite a quite a lot as a person if you can figure out how to work through some of the personal stuff. Like if you ever listen right. to like the startup podcast, right? Yes. There's a lot of like personal stuff. Like it's a lot of personality stuff that's going on, and right. I, I think that happens in a lot of in a lot of startups. And it's just the more or companies, just like honestly, it happens everywhere. It's just not a skill that we've really learned in our in our schooling, like some people are more empathetic than others and some people are more self-aware. So if, if you can develop that empathy and that self-awareness, uh, I, I think it, it really is an amazing skill to carry with you. It's not just something that's going to help, you know, save your startup where you're fighting all the time, but really help you grow as a person, uh, be a better leader, be a better, you know, partner in a relationship. I mean, it's kind of it's pretty amazing, powerful stuff that I hadn't had really not thought about at all when we were just, you know, just starting this thing. I like that. Cool. Um, okay. Well, stepping back a little bit, I mean, you, you talked about in the beginning, you know, you guys saw, you weren't making any money from this thing, but you saw good traction. So what were you looking at exactly to determine that you had good traction? Any spe- Anything specific? Oh, like way, like we're talking like before we did YC or like... Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, so we had a product that was growing that, so it was growing. We weren't spending a lot of marketing. So like people were telling their friends about it. Uh, it was a free product and we were getting lots of feature requests from our customers. Like they'd reach out to us or email us or post on our blog about all the things they wanted us to do. So that was a good sign, right? We had these engaged users that, wanted stuff from us so and we i mean i don't remember how many signups we were getting a day it would be really interesting to think back about what we thought a lot of signups a day was back then because i'm sure that number is like now the number is kind of like i can't believe that many people sign up every day right (laughs) but uh but back then uh i mean i don't know maybe it was like 30 a week maybe it was less than that i don't i don't really remember but like um it's still, I guess, you know, we had a graph of active users and that graph was, was moving up and we had a bunch of people that were asking us to do things. And I think that uh, we could have had something like 2,000 active free users before we actually uh, launched paid. Mm. Okay. So how did you get, I, I guess, you know, to become a 10,000, uh, to have over 10,000 customers, I think what was, you know, what was kind of the, the lever that got you there? If you had to pick one thing. That's a good question. What was the lever that got us to 10,000 customers? I think 
one thing that has worked very well for us is uh, investing a lot in customer service as our company uh, and also trying to be uh, aspirational about how we use our product. So at Olark, uh, we use our product, right? So we use Olark heavily at Olark. Uh, and, you know, we invest a lot in it. So we have uh, a lot of really amazing people that are working on our customer service team. Uh, we also rotate everyone in the company on the customer service. Um, and, and I think what that has done is it's really aligned the entire company around uh, you know, providing amazing service to our customers and helping us not forget why we exist. So while that may not be like the biggest growth lever, it certainly helps sustain the company as we've grown. So, you, you know, you can imagine lots of different growth levers over time. For example, um, uh, it's just like every, every chat box has a link on it, right? So that, that helps us a little bit. Uh, we get, we're very popular among startups. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of startups will blog about how they used Olark and it made them money or it uh, um, you know, helped them gain customer insight into something. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think there's just, uh, there's many, many uh, factors that I think contributed to that that success. I mean, things like partnering with uh, Shopify certainly helped drive some traffic. Uh, other other shopping cart vendors uh, being a really good uh, Salesforce partner. Right? So it, it's hard. It's really hard for me to align around around one thing. But I, I, if if I had to pick one, I'd say that that focus on customer service because it's really easy to torpedo a company if like you lose sight and stop caring about your customers. Like you can like dump a ton of money in the marketing and grow something really fast, but like you're going to have a high churn rate if you don't, um, you know, invest in relationships with your customers and the, and the churn rate will, will kill a SaaS company. So really, I guess, you know, focusing on the churn rate, focusing on having uh, really strong relationships with your customers uh, and, and building that into your culture, figure out how to just like hammer that into your culture and, uh, and I think you'll do you'll do reasonably well if your market's big. I hear that. Um, so let's talk about your strong remote culture. I mean, you know, there's automatic out there. There's GitHub. You know, talk about your remote culture. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't. I actually have no idea how WordPress and GitHub uh, characterize their culture. I think culture is something that's sort of hard to 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 characterize. But uh, but let me, I, I will I will first sort of walk you through our core values. And then I will sort of talk a little bit about how we feel that those core values relate to our remote culture. Because I think that'll kind of give you a sense for where we're coming from. So, uh, and another point I'd like to make is when I talk about core values, these aren't just something that like, are written on a wall somewhere. Like we really try to work very hard to encode this on how we operate the business. And I'll, and I'll give you some examples of that too. So, uh, our core values are at olark.com slash values. And so the first one is chill out, which means that, uh, you know, while we all do work very hard on Olark, like there's more to life than Olark. And so one of our core values is to really make sure that we step back and enjoy the rest of life. Um, and maybe a, a unique core value for a company to have, but it's something that's very important to Olark. Uh, help each other. Um, so... 
at Olark, we don't have a ton of structure around, uh, you know, uh, management hierarchies or something like that. Uh, so uh, to combat that, very, very, it is, it is very rare that we'd say like, hey, Eric, go do this thing. And a lot of time I'd be like, Eric, I could use your help on this. And then, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you're too busy or maybe you're not. But, you know, the, the idea is like uh, people at Olark generally want to help each other and work together. It's, it's, it's kind of amazing. Like, you know, a new, a new employee comes on and the thing they're bombarded with is like people asking them if they need, have any questions or any help. Like, it's just this really amazing, uh, you know, thing that we've managed to ingrain into, into how we, how we welcome people to the team. Uh, the, the, the third is, um, assume good faith. And I think this goes back to living together. Uh, for a long time, uh, but it's such a great way to think about it. So, like, let's say someone says something that seems absurd, right? Assume good faith. Assume they're acting in the best interest of the company before just trying to make a judgment about what's going on. Um, make it happen because, again, we don't have a lot of structure. You're not supposed to just, like, tell someone and they're supposed to do, like, make that change happen in the world. Like, you really have to sort of take ownership over what you want to see change. And... Uh, and make it happen. So, you know, rally teammates and uh, get feedback on your idea and just try to, like, make that change happen. Uh, practice empathy, which means to, uh, like, really not, uh, you know, you're assuming good faith, but also, like, practice, uh, like, listening to other people and practice, like, really understanding what they're saying. Like, like sometimes it may take you a few times to like read that email they wrote or that text chat to like really understand what, the, what their meaning is. Like don't, don't jump to conclusions, assume good faith. Mm-hmm. And then finally, like speak your mind. Uh, so make sure that you, you know, if you have thoughts, criticisms, uh, like, uh, ideas for improvement, uh, are just feeling stressed out, uh, tell us, right. Tell someone, speak, speak what's on your mind. Don't sort of bottle stuff inside. Mm. And so, uh, you know, together those, those are champs, right? So our core values are champs, which, you know, I, th- I think it's kind of cool that we worked out the, the acronym. Uh, first we're camps, then we kind of added help and it was all sort of stuff out. Uh, but so that's kind of like how we, we operate the team as core these core values. So, so some examples, right? So we have uh, a weekly team sync. At the weekly team sync, it's an all-hands call. We open up a Google Doc, and the first thing we do is we have an area called kudos. And when, what kudos is is everyone on the team can thank up to, to three, can make up to three thank you statements along our core values. So one might be like, hey, you know, Ben Schultz, thanks for uh, riding a tandem bike with me when I was co-working with you in Boston. That was awesome. <laughs> and then like hashtag chill. And, and so like every, every team thing starts like this. So we just like run down a bunch of sort of kudos for exemplifying core values, which I think is really neat. It's a nice way to kind of remind everyone that like, you know, to say thanks for all the, all the work uh, and, you know, collaborations going on and sort of see all the interesting positive energy that's going on at Olark. Uh, another thing that you might have noticed is all of the core values, a lot of the core values were around communication. So stuff like practice empathy, speak your mind, uh, assume good faith. Those core values sort of help characterize the communication to Olark. And uh, communication is really important in any organization, but it's 
particularly important when you can't see people, right? Like you can't walk around the room and see that someone's depressed or like, you know, banging their head against the wall or, you know, having a bad day. You really need to get people in the habit of like talking about what's up and, you know, letting others know. Because I think uh, in a remote company in particular, it's very easy to be isolated uh, off by yourself. And so you need to make those people feel safe and like they can uh, communicate with others. And, you know, that's, that's actually part of our mission as a company is to build, is to exemplify a positive organization by building a safe space to like build each other up and speak our minds and stuff like that. And so uh, a, a lot of what we do is at OLARC is really oriented around building this internal, this very strong internal culture that supports, uh, you know, people as individuals and, and particularly so most supports remote work by having a very uh, good uh, emphasis around communication and training people how to give feedback and, uh, and stuff like that. I guess and a third item that's really, uh, you know, key to our remote culture and our, you know, key to, key to any remote culture is really like a lot of trust in, in, in individuals. So, uh, we, you know, are very flexible around like, um, expense reporting and travel and, uh, and items like that, that really, uh, you know, are, are very important in remote companies, uh, and, you know, try to have as, as little policy as possible to, to sort of push that trust out onto, onto others. And I guess my one add on is it, it like we're remote first. So very early on, we started, uh, operating like we were a remote company when we were just four people. And, uh, well, really, once we hit five, we started being a true, like, we started operating like a remote company. And so what, what that means is that even though we have two offices, an office in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and an office in San Francisco, that when we communicate in those offices, the majority of the way we communicate is over HipChat, which means you walk into the office, is basically silent, even if there's, like, a bunch of, like, side chat conversations going on. So the people that are remote aren't really second class, aren't second class citizens at Olark. If anything, like we try to orient most things in the company, like celebrations and stuff like that, really around the fact that we are a remote company and not trying to have like, oh, how do we do it for remote people? How do we do it for the in-person people? We really try to think remote first. And I think that's, that's really important for people that are, that are thinking about how they want to, how they want to build their company. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I'd be curious to check out uh, your lesson on how to give feedback. Always, a, always a work in progress. But uh, <laughs> let's talk about your. You know, we were talking about this beforehand. But your company retreat, where you're inviting everyone, and it's for a week, and you know, spouses are welcome as well. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So one, this this sort of ties back to remote first, right? So one thing you get when you have a physical office in one place is you get a way that uh, coworkers can like hang out outside of work and uh, you know, meet each other's families, et cetera. So I feel like it's, it's even more important when you have a remote company because a lot of times people are working out of their houses and when you're working out of your house uh, you know, and, and you're, you're home, but your focus is not on being home. Uh, the people in your life start to sort of like, uh, have this negative energy towards your job, you know, because like, oh, that, that job, that's the thing that's stopping you from like, uh, 
you know, playing with the dogs or like, you know, this other thing. You're, you're here at home, but for some reason you can't like uh, give me attention for some reason or another. And, uh, and because of that, like the way we think about this at Olark is it's, we're really like recruiting the whole, the whole family really, you know, from like an Olark standpoint. So we want to like help, help uh, significant others of Olarkers like get to meet Olark, get to meet like other significant others from Olark and not feel like there's sort of like, you know, my, my significant other's job right and and that's just what olark is we really want to humanize olark for for those employees and you know we have a diverse set of employees some have kids some are putting kids through college uh some are single and uh when you think about doing a company retreat like and you read these blog posts about oh, all these people fly to hawaii and they like work there for a week and they're like yeah every every startup should fly to hawaii and work there for a week well, that works pretty well when you don't have like little kids that you're like trying to put to bed or, uh, you know, uh, wives who have very like taxing jobs or, or husbands that, uh, you know, need, need support. I mean, it's, it's like, uh, so, so when Olark thinks about retreats, you think about something that's very inclusive and something where, uh, first of all, we want to, we want to make it easy for people to be there. And we want to make it uh, a celebration to sort of build this really strong company culture. And so we decided to be as uh, inclusive as possible. And you can sort of justify this because you're paying, you know, a lot less for office space. Uh, and so maybe if you're a Silicon Valley company and you look at how much money you're spending on office space, you probably could afford to fly everyone in the company and their spouses uh, somewhere, somewhere nice for a week for roughly the same prices or probably for less than what you're spending on your office space. So it's, it's not like it's uh, just like a strictly additional expense, though I do think it is something that's very, is very important. Uh, it's also a great opportunity for everyone to meet each other in person, uh, just Olarkers in general, because we're so spread out that there's really no other easy way of, of doing that. Uh, you would go on this like a worldwide trek from Olarker to Olark when we hire you, which would be kind of cool, but maybe, <laughs> maybe not very cost effective. Right. So the, what I imagine, okay, so you have, uh, is it 37 employees right now? Yeah. Okay. So 37 and then are the, I can imagine spouses like, yeah, you know, three days is okay, but one week is insane. So, you know, what are the, how do you work out the logistics around that where people don't want to stay like a whole week or like free to go or how does that look? Oh yeah, they're totally free to go. I mean, like it's totally optional, right? Like if mm-hmm. you're a spouse, you don't have to come, first right. of all. I mean, not not everyone can come. It doesn't make sense for everyone. Not even every Olarker is able to make it this year. But mm-hmm. we, and part of that's because like, you know, we've hired a bunch of people this year and they were unable to sort of plan that far, uh, plan in advance for it, Right. Uh, so we try as hard as possible to make it possible for every Olark, every Olarker to be there. Uh, so, you know, Olarkers attending is as close to mandatory as possible. Uh, there's certainly reasons why you couldn't make it, you know, like best friend's wedding or like, you know, other, other, you know, really important events. Uh, but, uh, and for spouses, I mean, we, we let them know in advance, we cover all the expenses. So it's not, it's not a cost, but I mean, certainly people have limited vacation days. Not everyone can travel. Uh, and the dates are, uh, 
we put up a big doodle and let everyone sort of fill in their dates. And it's really hard to find days at work for 37 people. So it's plus there are significant others. So that's, uh, that's complicated too. Uh, but, but sure. So the way we sort of organize the retreat is it starts on a Saturday. And so the first two days are just like fun. Like we're just hanging out, catching up, uh, you know, we're doing group activities together, uh, exploring wherever we happen to be. Uh, it's really, really just about kind of, you know, a fam- Olark family reunion, more or less, the first two days. And then on Monday, we kind of get to business. And so we have uh, Monday and Tuesday, we do an unconference where we uh, we kick off the first day with a state of the Olark where we talk about you know, where the company has been, where the company is going. We try to address like uh, questions from Olarkers. So recently I've been, you know, on, on HipChat asking uh, Olarkers if there's any particular questions or topics they want us to cover during the, during the state of Olarkers. And, you know, a lot of people have a lot of really great uh, uh, ideas for stuff for us to talk about. So uh, probably some of those will end up being in the state of Olark and some of them will end up being uh, breakout sessions that are unconference. Um. And then after that, after the first two days, um, then it's a little bit more open. Like so, certain teams will probably uh, get together and break out and uh, sort of discuss topics that being in person is really useful for. Um, we're doing a bunch of uh, vision planning, uh, but really the the orientation is kind of like uh, if you're not. So the first two days, inclusive of everyone, the week during business hours is basically like, you know, you're at work, you're working for Olark. Uh, if you're a guest, then you're probably hanging out with other significant, uh, significant Olarkers, if you will. Uh, <laughs> so, so there's a lot of people around and everyone's pretty awesome. So generally, uh, the, the significant others get to have a lot of fun while <laughs> everyone else is at work. So, um, I think it. I think it generally works out, and it helps build relationships between uh, more than just the coworkers at Olark, but really their their families. And uh, I think you know that's that's the kind of company we want to build. Like we want to build a company that is uh, you know a pretty amazing place to work. And I think it's it's hard to do that when you're just courting like you know one part of the family. You really gotta you know have something for everyone. Love it. Can totally appreciate that. Um, What's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self? Wow, that is a really interesting question. Uh, I think that uh, understanding and mastering self-awareness is something that you don't understand yet, 25-year-old Ben, but it's something that uh, you should actually take very seriously because it is... it will help you be like so much more powerful and, and how you kind of, uh, approach the world. Like if you really understand like how, it's hard to describe self-awareness, I think in a, in a way, uh, but, but if you sort of understand like how you respond to stimuli that you see in the world or how you, uh, you know, what makes you feel good, what makes you feel bad, what, uh, you know, what is relaxing, what is not relaxing, like the better you understand yourself, the more you can control your, 
your happiness and the more uh, sort of productive you can be and the better your ability is to interact with other people. It's, uh, it's something that that seems like all sort of like mushy and like, Oh, I don't need to, I don't need to care about the stuff. All I care about is like optimizing uh, my team in order to perform at the highest level possible. But I think like, you know, it, it, if you understand how you work, it will give you much, it'll allow you to teach other people how to, to have that same skill and, uh, I don't know. It, it, in a way, I feel like sort of having really good self awareness sort of gives you superpowers, and so I would, I would uh, recommend anyone to sort of look into that. And you know, some some book uh, recommendations there. Is there's a there's a great book called Leadership and uh, Self Deception. kind of it kind of like gets sort of repetitive, but it will really like give you some get the point across. I think around sort of self awareness and also. Uh, the five dysfunctions of a team is another mm. great book to sort of help you uh, sort of, I think, become a little bit more self-aware and, and sort of think about how what you're saying affects other people and think about what they're saying affects you. Uh, those, are, those are two really uh, useful tools. And a sort of a third bonus tool would be uh, at Olark, we've recently become sort of uh, really interested in this concept called non- nonviolent communication which is a really interesting way of giving people feedback. So rather than saying like, you know, uh, you did a really bad job on, uh, on that or like, or like, I hate it when you're late. You might want to like rephrase that as like, when you are late, it makes me feel like you don't value my time. Mm. So it's more about me and how I feel and less about ascribing judgment on, on the actions that someone else is taking. Because I think that uh, you realize that a lot of people tend to frame things in uh, external, like that was bad or uh, you know that was good. When really it's it's you know that made me feel happy or that made me feel bad, and it's it's you're not you can't really make these like absolute value judgments. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Huh. Okay. Well. Need to improve in those areas, so I'm going to buy those three books right after this. Um, <laughs> so, Ben, this has been great. Um, you know, what's the best way for people to find you online? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter, uh, just jamming Ben, which is easy enough. Uh, I mean, quite honestly, you can feel free to email me, Ben at Olark.com. You can even stop by Olark.com, hop on chat, and just say like, "Hey, I heard this podcast from uh, the Ben was on it. Is he around?" Because odds are I'll be around, and you know if I'm not in the middle of something, I'd be happy to hop on, hop on Olark and, and chat about whatever's uh, whatever's on your mind. Awesome, that's that's great, um, great. So this is awesome, everyone. This is Ben Congleton from Olark. You know if you if you have some website website and you don't have it yet, uh, I suggest you check it out. Thanks again for doing this, Ben. Awesome, thanks, Eric. Glad to be here. What's the number one problem all businesses face? It's not sales, marketing, or product market fit. It's hiring. We know just how hard it is, so we've compiled 25 hiring tips from top CEOs that I've interviewed here on Growth Everywhere and put it into a free resource just for you. Text 25 tips to 33444 to get the free resource now. Again, it is 25 to number 25 tips, T-I-P-S, to double three triple four, and you'll get the free resource.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.